The Being an Engineer podcast is a repository for industry knowledge and a tool through which engineers learn about and connect with relevant companies, technologies, people, resources, and opportunities. Enjoy the show. The weird thing about being truly engaged is that you're learning stuff when you're truly engaged. It's just so much of what we need to learn isn't engaging in the way that it's presented. and welcome to another exciting episode of the Being an Engineer podcast. We're going to be doing something a little different today. We have three guests, which is the most we've ever had on any episode. Dr. Russell Cohen-Hoffing, Alex Schiffman, and Dylan Farr, none of whom are engineers. Russell is a cognitive psychologist, Alex is an executive producer, and Dylan is a freelance animator. And all three are passionate about promoting scientific literacy. In fact, they feel so strongly about it that they have created a comedy show called Science, the show with an exclamation mark after science. That's important, which we will dig into quite a bit today. But before we get into all that, um, will each of you just take maybe a minute or two and tell us uh, a little bit about yourselves and uh, what is what it is you do outside of science the show let's maybe start with Russell and then we'll go Dylan and then and then Alex yeah so uh, I'm excited to be here um, so thanks for having us um, so I'm I'm a cognitive scientist I spend my days uh, sitting in front of a computer uh, planning experiments and analyzing data and I, I focus a lot on um, uh, understanding physiology and how that relates to uh, brain states. Um, that's what I. That's what I spend all my time doing. I love it. I, I love like all these behavioral. Um, uh, oh, my mind is blanking now. Behavioral science books. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited to dig into some of that with you. All right, Dylan, you're up. Hey, yeah, I'm Dylan. Uh, I'm an animator and a comedian. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. Uh, Man, I'm already choking on this one. I don't know. I, there's not a whole lot else I do other than I perform <laughs> for people that don't like me, and I make cartoons that arguably are funny. <laughs> arguably. <laughs> awesome. All right, Alex. Uh, yeah, Dylan, this is why when you make up your own title, you should make it sound more grandiose. Like, <laughs> executive producer, and Dylan's a freelance animator. I do I markedly, yeah, but I do markedly less than you do. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I produce shows like Science, uh, the show, and other content. Um, and I, I write and just generally live that uh, Hollywood try-hard life. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys, all of you for being here. Um, so the three of you seem, you know, pretty different. Russell is an academic. Alex is a producer. Dylan's a comedian slash animator. How did the three of you find each other and how did Science the Show come about? Uh, yeah. So Russell and I went to college together. Um, we were sophomore and senior year roommates and, you know, became friends pretty quickly in college where Russell actually wanted to be uh, in, in media. And then the neuroscience and cognitive science stuff came late, but I'm not going to tell his story for him. 
And when I moved to LA, he was already here because he grew up in Southern California. And I, you know, we hung out like friends do. It's a thing that friends do. And um, I knew Dylan through a completely different side of my life. Dylan and I played Dungeons and Dragons together. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And it was nuts because I, I knew Alex so, sort of, or he was on a sketch team that used to perform with my roommate sketch team. So I'd yeah. seen Alex around. We ended up in the same D&D game together. Uh, and yeah, and then Alex yeah. just saw me have a good set. Right, <laughs> I saw Dylan do stand up and it was actually funny, and that's so fair. So that the last time, friends huh? do stand up and it's terrible, and you're like, "That was good." Yeah. Um, I mean, what, so what, what Alex is not saying is that he did a lot of com. He's done comedy throughout like his whole whole life, and actually in college, I think part of I don't. When did we we also did a sketch Top comedy year. like. Yeah, like we did sketch comedy groups together, and I mean, Alex had been doing a ton of sketch comedy, so they, you know, I think comedy like, is like the thread that ties all of you together. Yeah. It sounds like a little bit, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, so Russell and I, anyway, to finish the story up, we're trying to do something with science outreach that wasn't like your typical. That wasn't, you know, here's here's something kind of boring in a PowerPoint or like uh, here's something for kids. And so we thought, well, we could do it comedy style. And I, my friend Dylan's a pretty talented stand-up. Why don't we try it with him? And, uh, and yeah, our first, our first edition, our first episode, Russell was our science guest. And then, you know, we iterated from there and <laughs> Dylan, I, I want to hear how did you become a stand-up because that is such a foreign world to me, and it's so interesting. It has nothing to do with engineering or science, but hey, I'm the host, and I don't care. That sounds interesting. Let's talk yeah, about that. How did no, you get sure. into stand-up? <laughs> I was uh, debilitatingly depressed, <laughs> and things when it was. I was in Chicago. I was graduating. I went to school in Chicago, uh, college, and I was graduating. I didn't want to be an animator. Didn't know what else to do. I'd always liked performing just generally and visual storytelling and so stand-up sort of became that outlet so i've always enjoyed making people laugh that's a big part of why i actually like animation is making funny animations and uh so it was an outlet for me that was it's a very i think the the greatest and worst thing about stand-up comedy is there's no barrier to entry anyone can go to an open mic unfortunately <laughs> most people who go to open mics are the absolute trash <laughs> just absolute <laughs> filth human beings I've so heard, you have I've to, heard some. <laughs> yeah but that is uh that's how i got into stand-up like open mic stuff came to la doing like because you know i was in like, digital media stuff so i was doing like some film work uh and then just sort of just kept grinding out open mics for better or for worse you know i i mean how I, old I, you? I, what you, I was did your first open mic first open mic i was 21 Okay. Yeah, twenty nine now. Good God! <laughs> what? A, <laughs> you're not supposed to say that stuff out loud back to back. How long you've been doing comedy? <laughs> Where did all that time go? Oh God. Um. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, comedy is great. Comedians, uh, I have a lot of hard opinions about, but about their their quality of their character, not another whether or not they're funny. Um. But it's usually an inverse correlation, unfortunately. Yeah, there really is. I think anyone who keeps up with any kind of gossip around comedians knows very quickly the people at the top are the lowest of the low. Morally. Oh, interesting. <laughs> really? Very, very typical, yeah. 
I think it's just I I have like a whole lot of philosophizing I could do about comics and their personalities, but that's neither here nor there. Maybe maybe in uh, round two we'll get to that one. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into executive producing? So yeah, executive producing executive producer just means that like I make a lot of the final decisions, and I'm really the executive producer just on science the show. I uh, I'm a producer. Which, uh, which a producer is kind of, it means something in certain terms, but in other terms, it just means I try to do shit, right? Like I try to make media, I try to do comedy, like I try to make things happen. And oftentimes, like any other art form, you fail a lot. Uh, you try to make things work and then, you know, that, okay, that one didn't work. So back to the scrap heap or iterate again. So I, yeah, I've just been trying to make content since college I produce sketch shows produce videos produce um, events like any kind of thing I can do to create to create sort of like a, an item or a culture that can try to get an idea across has been something oh, I've been trying to aren't do you like, you're literally describing an entrepreneur I know that sounds so corny but I think that is like literally by definition the, what you have explained I, that's a good point I produced <laughs> Producer is an entrepreneur whose uh, whose family doesn't respect them. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. And both of them are poor. Either yes. way. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, Russell, your your research focuses on um, uh, learning about the conditions and, and mechanisms that influence learning, and and then manipulating those to help people learn new behaviors. Um, I think that most engineers would agree with me that one of the most important things we learn at school, getting a degree in engineering, is is how to learn. Can you tell us maybe what are some of these conditions and mechanisms that, that you've identified as influencing how we learn and how how can we leverage those? Yeah, so so actually, you're, you're referring to this was, was what I did in grad school um, a, a few years back, and my uh, this is a lot of my uh, surrounding my my uh, dissertation work. So currently, I'm doing um, I'm focused on other another similar field, but but the this this work I'm still super interested in, and you know I'm I'm you know. I'm a science communicator partially because I'm really passionate about learning and, you know, helping other people learn. So um, some of the, you know, the, the way that we, we did our research is we got um, inspiration from, from what's called perceptual learning, which is like very, very simple forms of, of learning. And part of the reason that we look to, to that is because just learning is really complicated thing to study. Um, and so the idea was if we could kind of distill out some very simple principles of how the brain learns, we could maybe apply that in more complex contexts. And so that's a little bit of background into your question being, you know, what are, what are some of those, um, some of those, uh, some of those lessons and, um, you know, the I think the lessons are probably fairly intuitive. Um, you know, and, and what what does work, and you know, a lot of the a lot of it comes down to the details. But I think one of the really um, surprising things about uh, uh, how we learn is like how specific versus general, you know, learning can be. 
um, that was like one of the the curses, you know, we, we would refer to as like the curses of specificity, where, you know, you think you're, you're, you're learning something, and then you find out that it just doesn't transfer to anything else. And like, you know, I don't know, a good example of that could be like, you know, you have a gamer, right, who's like an expert at uh, gaming, uh, maybe in like a first person shooter, you know, game, but like, say you put this person in a real world scenario or like paintball or something like they would not be good, you know, they, they would not be good at paintball. And so there's kind of like, like trying to understand, well, what, what, did, you know, what do you need to do to get somebody to transfer what they learned in one context versus another? Um, and so some of, some of those things that we, we found is, um, you know, you want to focus on rule-based learning. Um, so, and, and so what, is, what does that mean? And again, you know, a lot of this research is, is in kind of esoteric artificial contexts, but the, the idea behind rule-based learning is that you're, you're trying to enforce an abstract, um, in, an abstract rule that will, that, that is, is what you're learning versus something very, very, very specific. Um, let me try to give a, a an example of, of exactly what that means. Um, so you're focusing on like a, a principle of learning versus some kind of minutia within that principle that that might not be general enough to be useful for you know. Well, well, here's I mean, this is like I think this is the the conundrum, which is really difficult to try and understand. Is like I can tell that you're an academic because you use words like conundrum. <laughs> Thank you for classing up my show. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, the, you can actually, what, what's interesting, right, about a rule versus, say, a specific instance is that they can both s- solve a problem, right? Like, they can both solve a problem, but the issue is like, well, how do you get, how do you learn something that solves a bigger class of problems? So let, let's just say, you know, I, I want to give like, I'm trying not to give an example of like one of the studies that we've done because they, they don't relate very well to the real world. Um, but um, like, I think um, hmm, coming up with one on the spot is a little hard. Uh, is a little hard. Um, <laughs> I totally put you on the spot here. That's, that's yeah. my bad. Yeah, I'm, but... I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna ask Alex something, and if you come up with an example, by all means, interject, and and we'll get back to that. So, Alex, one of the things that I learned about you is apparently, I hope I'm right about this, you speak fluent Chinese. Is that accurate? No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, I I I lived in China for a bit, and I can speak getting around Mandarin, but it's not fluent. <laughs> But That's didn't you like nine. translate for sitcoms and oh oh like yeah I, Chinese? I, I, you got to be pretty uh, good to do that. A more complicated story than it sounds. Um, I wow, that went from I know I do not know Chinese to I clearly can read Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't even read. Here's, I mean, I can read like I can read like sign Chinese. Like okay, that's the bathroom. There's the kitchen. Like no, I so I worked you for know, a. For example, if you put two doors in front of me, both written in Chinese, and one said you die if you walk through this door, and the other said you don't die if you walk through this <laughs> okay, door, so, that's so a I 50-50 would, for me. <laughs> so. I would have to ask then if you put it, one door leads to certain death and one door leads to certain life, uh, but in front of both doors, there's one person who only <laughs> tells lies and one person who only tells the truth. 
but they all do it in Chinese, and I'm out of my depth. Uh, I, cannot, I cannot solve Bertrand Russell-esque logic riddles. Uh, what, what were you doing in China to begin with? Yeah, uh, try, figuring it out, man. Um, figuring out life. <laughs> I had just graduated from college, and so uh, I didn't really know what else to do. I had been in Kathmandu for a month working on a film. I popped over to Shanghai, where I worked in the most tenuous sense for a Chinese-like TV station, news agency. It, like a lot of things in China, it was owned by the government, so there wasn't really much to do. Like... No one really wanted to do much there. They just kind of had to justify their existence. <laughs> so, um, my job was there was this show no one watched that was still on it. Chinese, uh, <laughs> but always had English translations because it was supposedly aimed at a Western audience, I guess, which I could cannot understand why. And so they would they would have someone who didn't really speak English translate the scripts into English, but it was uh -oh. English that was basically a poem, right? Like it was literal meanings of words. Like <laughs> This sounds English. like a Lynchian nightmare. What the fuck exactly. was this? Yeah, it was the terror, right? It was just these beautiful, like <laughs> sad, melancholy statements of like a funny <laughs> sitcom translated into English. And so it was my job to argue with my boss who was, from Hong Kong, so he spoke like very proper British English. What the proper way to turn that into, like, uh, I guess, simple, understandable sentences would be. So it was Real really education. Yeah, it was a job for nobody for nothing. But <laughs> okay, well, being a producer, you you need to understand how to tell a compelling story, which is, I assume, why you were in that role, and. Uh, that's also a really important skill to have for anyone who wants to get something done. I have a, a coach, uh, shout out to Coach Troy, if he's listening. And he always tells me that the most important part of my job is to enroll my team, or in other words, set the vision and, and help people get excited about that vision. From your experience, can you share some pointers about how to create and, and share a compelling story that people want to engage with i mean sure this is uh this is what we do for science the show um and and I'm, I'm not going away from your question i'm sort of circling back to it through the three-ish years we've been doing this show we've come at something really basic that's like you know it's one of those oh big duh understandings but it's because they're the most important and the most meaningful and that's that it has to be personal and engaging if you want people to care. And that can sound like nothing, but, um, you know, if, if you want to try to get somebody to understand about dark matter or whatever, something that's so academic, right? It doesn't impact your life, you know, in, in the way that you live it. You want to tell them about it. Only like 1% of people are going to care. And those are the people who are predisposed to care because whatever, like either they're scientists or they're like me and they like getting high and like looking up at the stars, you know, mm -hmm. it's one of those two things. Otherwise people aren't going to care unless you find what about it matters to you and what about it is a thing that they can wrap their minds around. So 
for instance, right, like Russell was having a hard time coming up with an example of his work that is going to matter to you because he knows the esoteric, like these were the learning models we did and it's all like sorting tasks and things that don't matter a lot to what you do with your life. So it might not totally stick, but the right example of, okay, here's why Russell cares about this stuff. And he's already kind of primed you to care. Russell cares about this because he cares about learning and learning is something that gets him so excited. And he's, I'm sure if we asked Russell why learning is so cool to him and got him not talking academically, he could tell you about like, oh, the way that he gets so jazzed when he watches his son learn something new or how when he was in college and he learned about the the systems of the brain and how that learns, you know, like how your brain actually learns something that got him more excited than film or anything ever did. This feels it's like the, a eulogy. There's something yeah, very, very right, sad about this. I mean, this is very good, but there's like a weird tone of like, Russell's in the call, man. <laughs> That's not Russell. That's just a mistake I made. That's all to say. It's about like, here's why this matters to me and to us if you're talking to your team. What's the story behind this? This is so cool. And then how do we contextualize this in a way that matters to you, right? Like with um, Dark Matter, I'd have to explain the cool slides that our, our past guest showed, but... You know, I, we've been talking about this as a team for the past two weeks. Do one of you guys have a cool contextualizing example? Um, for dark matter, I mean, I, I think, it, yeah, it, it really, a lot of it, I think, w- but when Alex talks about personalizing, right, it's like, I think a lot of where we try to talk, we push guests is like, well, why, why do they care? You know, in, in Alex's example, it was me and like, what gets me excited. And so that's what we, you know, try to get our guests to do. So I think for the dark matter thing, like, I think there's just like basic fact of like, what was it like 70% of the universe is like, still, we just don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's there. We know it's there. We know it exists, but you just like, don't know what it is. And so that like, that personalization of just like, complete awe, and like, intense curiosity of like, how is that possible? Like, what does that mean? Like, how can we understand more? Like getting that across, I think is the personalization. And those are the things that I think, you know, a lot of people can connect with and like, you know, can can get in on that feeling of awe and, um, you know, an inspiration. Yeah, I think, uh, oh, sorry. I was go ahead, go ahead. It was just, uh, I, I think it, it's a big component in like comedy too, is like, uh, when you start doing it, you like you're you're gonna go up and tell your story about you and your friend Steve and how you fell out of a boat and like real fast you realize no one gives a fuck about Steve or that boat <laughs> like it does it was a very immediate thing that happened to you and you, what you have to do your job as a comedian is to get people to connect with them in a way that that story is funny or whatever it is similarly like what you do the show you have to get people to connect with you in a way that the information you're giving to doesn't just go in one ear and out the other they like they hold on to it in a in a more, um, I don't know if intimate is the right word, but at least they, they hold on to it at all. <laughs> it's much yeah. Now, I, I, I want to point out that we're talking about comedy and media and, and science the show, but all of these things are super applicable to anyone who has to get anything done, which is basically everyone, <laughs> right? I mean, when, when I talk with like a new customer or a potential new customer, I could frame uh, my company in the context of, you know, pipeline does this and this and that. Or I could frame it in the context of your team can get this thing done through us, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. framing your communication in a way that the other person cares about it because at some level 
every human is just self-centered and selfish and just wants, you know, what we want for ourselves, right? Me, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme at some level, right? And we have to appeal to that uh, when we're trying to get things done. Yeah, I think that's okay too, to be selfish. I think if we want to be happy. This this gets into like a bigger conversation, but um, let's let's go there. I, I think that people only do things for selfish reasons. There, no one does anything uh, outside of a selfish reason, right? So let's say so, that. Oh God. Go, go ahead, Russell. I'm sure you have plenty to say about. I'm this. just just curious to what you think about altruism, then. Okay, great. Let's talk about altruism, right? I I, I I'm driving on the highway and I see a homeless individual begging for money, and I stop on the side of the road and I give that person money. I'm being altruistic, right? If if it made me feel horrible inside. To give that money, would I do it? Absolutely not. I do it because it makes me feel good. And that's a selfish thing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think, you know, at, at our root, we only do things because it makes us feel good to do that thing. I, mean, I don't think I can I don't think I can agree with you since at the same time, it would make me feel a lot better if I just went and bought an ice cream cone with that same money. Like it doesn't make me feel bad. You're right in that it doesn't make me feel like crap to give the person a dollar. But like with that same dollar, I could do something that would make me feel so much better, right? Like in, I could go by, I mean, I wouldn't because this isn't my thing. Uh, I saw you kind of frown when I mentioned weed, so I'm not going to mention drugs again. But like I could go buy uh, candy. I could go buy anything and... I think that would make me feel exponentially better than giving a homeless person a dollar. But I do still do it because in a way, yes, there is, I think, some selfishness, but it it feels like a broader sense of selfishness than this is what I want now. It's like, yeah, I selfishly want to live in a world that doesn't disgust me every time I open up my eyes. Like I want to live in a world where I'm not, and I'm not talking about the homeless person is what disgusts me. I'm talking about the fact that- It did that sound, I know that's what you meant, but it right. did yeah, sound like what I meant. Yeah, I meant like we live in a world so sad and so miserable that there are people who are experiencing homelessness is like, yeah. okay, I, I selfishly wish that weren't the case. Okay, I'm, I'm going to respectfully disagree with, with your rebuttal there because if it really made you feel exponentially better to go buy drugs or whatever it was, then you would go do that. And by definition, whatever choice you made, whatever you did, by definition, is what makes you feel better. I think, though, that that's kind of a tautology because then it's like whatever makes you feel better makes you feel better, so it's going to make you feel better. I think that that's like, well, then it's unescapable. Yeah. And so we're kind of even, saying nothing. I don't even know what the word is. It, I did not intend like, for this conversation to get started, but here we are. This is yeah, great. Like a self-fulfilling circle. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, just to, I mean, I think if, if like part of, I think when people talk about the, the idea of like that you do things because you feel better is that like, there's some like rational component about the, uh, like some optimal problem that you're solving. Like, you know, they, a human knows that if you do this, like you will feel better. But I, I think that part of the, 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 uh, the focus on the individual is not really the level that it should be focused on because we're a social species, right? Like, that, like, even though it may feel like, yes, I'm acting on my own, like, we've evolved to act on behalf of a species as a whole, right? Like, the, there's no, like, 
we all of our individualistic behaviors are in service also of our entire species as as a whole oh, right that's so, so like, creepy to think what, about that's a good point yeah one, that's one, a... one way you could think about like one way you could think about this idea of you know like it is true you act on it on an individual basis like i give this person money it makes me feel good but right like there's also a calculation going in there that like well maybe in the future this person might like also need to help me in the future right like there is there is that that there's like this baked in evolutionary process and species you know kind of thinking where we're we're not just focused on our own well-being but we also want to help others for ourselves so it's not so cut and dry that you know this feeling of 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 feeling good is 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 a motivator for our actions there's many other things that are at play and i think one of those things as i'm i'm trying to point out is that you know we act socially all the time and and it's and it that is also a motivator and it is kind of unre- it is it is parallel to you know our own intrinsic feeling well you could be right i that was kind of a fun conversation thank you everyone for contributing to that um <laughs> let, let's jump back to science the show a little bit and and talk more about that dylan um dreaming big here what what are your hopes for science the show in the future like where would you like to see it go in the next few years. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, uh, an audience that isn't just our friends and family. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We actually, it's dude. I, uh, I think for me, um, I, I didn't know science communication was a field until about three years, but more like a year and a half ago, even though I'd been doing it for like a year and a half, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I was fucking, we just get up and they're scientists. Um, but I mean, it's like Bill Nye, except there's a black guy. That's what we we'll call it. <laughs> That's what we're gonna, Russ, Alex, I know it's, it does shock you to the side, but it might be a, a good sell. <laughs> I, I'm happy for you to be our front man. <laughs> is that, is that a, I think that, does that answer your question, though, more or less? That's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. You know, the answer doesn't even matter as long as we're all laughing. I think that's the big point. <laughs> There's some, I, maybe I want to, I can jump in about some future things that like we've been working on and, and where I hope we can go. I mean, a lot of, you know, like most people we've had to pivot a lot, like during the pandemic, you know, and and pre-pandemic, like a lot of the things, you know, we were having all live shows and person shows like at bars and at, you know, theater venues. And those were going like incredibly well. Like we had just gone on the road to San Francisco, you know, we booked like totally, you know, over sold out show with like was, wait list, we, you know, like we, wait list, like we sold out a show and didn't believe it. So we called the venue to be like, we're sure the ticket <laughs> thing is, is working. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's working. <laughs> we don't get awesome. calls like this. Uh, yeah. But sorry. Russell. So, yeah. So, you know, I think like getting back, you know, to a place where, where we can be in live shows because that's where I think we do best. And, and going on the road more, you know, that that was a, a, a big thing for us. And and uh, you know, one of the ways that we had had pivoted is is um doing like a, a training, you know, like doing more training uh kind of a thing. So working with like scientists and science communicators, how to do, you know, and communicate science like we do. Um, you know, the science the show method, you know, um that that we've found a lot of success in and 
so, you know, we recently did a workshop at a, at a science communication conference and we, we work with a lot of scientists to, to kind of do it like, like we do it. And so looking forward to, you know, finding more partners and, um, yeah, I think it's been super fun. I, science communication as like a whole world is so new to me. I've just been just in the deep muck of comedians for so long. (laughs) It is a reminder that people can be good and kind (laughs) and have conversation that isn't just about themselves. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. No, scientists, they do, they are really rough. I think just to say, you know, it's a built in stereotype that scientists don't know how to talk to people. And I think, I, I, inaccurate i think there's just a way you can it's it's something that can be very easily revised and it's not and it's uh not uncommon that you don't even need to help at all um but uh it's it's really cool what we've done over the course of this pandemic with the show in like meeting other people who do the same thing that we do but differently and that's kind of that's just been really fun to see for me personally How do you work with scientists? I mean, do you, you know, have explicit conversations with scientists about some of your your subject matter and then you go off and make it funny and do a show? Or how does that whole process work? We, um, so our show, I'll I'll explain sort of what our shows look like, like the format of our show and then get into that question. Our, Our live and our internet shows are both kind of done the same way where it starts with, you know, open, hey, everybody, welcome to the show. Here's what's going to happen. Here's some ground rules. Here's who we are. And then our show has a theme, right? So to get that kicked off, we start with our own, you know, internal scientist, Russell will come out and teach around the theme of the show through his guise as a cognitive scientist. We keep going back to the the dark matter one just because it was chef's kiss it was a perfect <laughs> but that one was about the unseen universe so how much of the universe we can't see so it starts russell will tell you know or talk about how so much of the universe we can't see through a cognitive perspective right all of our blindnesses to this or that or that and then the scientist will come out and do the same thing through their lens but we don't necessarily rewrite it for them we coach them through it so they'll come to us with, hey, I want to talk about, you know, bees. I'm, I'm the most preeminent bee scientist in all of Michigan. And I'm going to talk about this cool thing that bees do. And then we go on a three-week process of working with them of like, cool, so why do you care? Okay, great. We know why you care now. So how can you make our audience remember this thing by like participation? Can you make them act it out? Can you make them like call out can you make them uh, get involved in this in some way Uh, okay great now let's personalize that again and then it's just like it's a loop of how can we personalize this how can we actionalize our action yeah i guess make this actionable um, until we reach something that feels you know while there are still slides it's no longer you know here's some information it's now like here's a thing that matters to me and i want to get you guys involved in this yeah and and i would say the the participatory like demonstration part is like i think the cornerstone of of what we do and where we you know we work with scientists and and engineers we've worked with engineers on the show too actually um to to try and come up with these like participatory demonstrations that are fun and and engaging like for example uh i'm trying to remember back we had um, Tracy Drain on the 
She was on, yeah. Yes. Her episode just went live uh, this past weekend, in fact. Yeah, cool. she was yeah. talking about shit she did at the show. I was like, oh, I know about this, the the, the tearing <laughs> of like what's going to go wrong on the, the space shuttle thing. <laughs> that was the worst explanation. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, so so with Tracy, yeah, with Tracy Jane, like she is a systems engineer, if I'm getting that, that correct. Um, and so we were trying to communicate, like, how do you tell, you know, how do you work with people to tell them like what a systems engineer does right and so we we you know we came to a spot where like all right let's literally like try to work through like how a system engineer would think and and, like engage with the problem so so we came up with this you know this this participatory demonstration where she gave a scenario like a real world scenario be like all right like we have this spaceship that is really freaking cool and uh there's this issue of like well, what do we, you know, what do we do if it runs out of power or like if we come up with this problem? And so, you know, we, we basically worked with her to come up with these scenarios and, and, and come up with ways to actually ask the audience, like, well, how do you, you know, what are the issues that I should try to be thinking about? And so, you know, it, it's really like that's the demonstration. That's the thing that's just really fun for people to engage with, to you know, it's almost like, like, right, a backdoor into like understanding, you know, engineering or science, like, you know, once they're engaged and having a good time, like, they don't realize that they're, you know, quote, unquote, learning, right. Um, and, and that's really like, the where we try to focus a lot on and how we do these shows, and we build everything around that, that demonstration, the presentation, that's, why yeah. you care about it, and um, what you get from it, you know, the weird thing about being truly engaged is that you're learning stuff when you're truly engaged, it's just so much of what we need to learn isn't engaging in the way that it's presented, right? Like I, right now I am because of the pandemic taking lower level college math courses. I went to a liberal arts school. I never took math because, you know, math was hard for me in high school. So now I'm back doing like college level trig. You know, stuff that I'm sure everyone on this engineering podcast does in their sleep, or they have a computer program that does it so well, they don't think about it anymore. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, the head shake, head nod. Right, the head shake, right. Yeah, yeah, that's what we do. Um, <laughs> that, at its best, it's engaging. It's fun. You're like, you're solving puzzles. You're having a good time. At its worst, it's absolute drudgery. It's, it's the worst possible symbol crunching. And it's terrible. <laughs> and all learning is like that. And if you can find this back door into that learning, people are engaged and they're picking stuff up more than they could possibly know. And yeah, Tracy's was a fantastic example. Have you ever had a, uh, a situation during the show where you're presenting, you know, some scientific data or fact or principle and people in the audience are like, no, nah, uh-uh, that's not a thing. You guys are wrong. <laughs> or, or people just, you know, generally, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll take their word for it. This is right. People are, gen- we've never had anyone, I guess that would be heckling us. Yeah, like we've never had anyone heckle us. The one time we've maybe had a scientist where people could be like, no, he also happens to be very engaging and so like out there. I'm talking about, so one of my, one of our very good friends, Spiros is like this incredibly high level quantum mathematician, right? Like he's a mathematical quantum physicist and he was talking about like, well, time travel is possible. Right, yeah. that did the science for Avengers Endgame, right? Like that's his claim to fame. So all the like, well, here's how time travel works is him being like, yeah, 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 no, here's how it would work. And so it's like, okay, this is all very high level math stuff. And also he has this great speaking voice and this way about him where you're like, 
All right, ma'am. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, <that's> <laughs> so, I, yeah. Yeah. No, he definitely is a person that, yeah, he'll like, yeah, he'll talk circles around you and make it, he'll make sense in big giant quotes <laughs> when you're, and then you, and you get done. You're like, I guess anything is possible. If anything's possible, that's some wild shit. You just said, man. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's another sort of answer to that. Whenever we have any sort of science that could potentially be contentious, not, you know, like things that people are uh, hot button issues right now, climate science and vaccine science, we make sure that our expert is someone who like, we're not going to deal with these problems. If someone is like, but what about this question I have? They're going to be like, cool, this is my expertise. Let's talk about it. Right. So it's not like, you know, with a science communication, if, if you're not the foremost like expert in uh, climate science, but you have to talk about it. And someone comes back with like, well, this here little thing, I have a question about that. Like you're going to be okay out of your depth. But if you are that expert and that's who we want to deal with, then you're like, yeah, of course I know how to answer that question. So with anything really contentious like that, we have someone who is within the right realm to speak and then if it's something like oh i don't believe that brains exist then like (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i actually i mean i'll i'll say that um uh tracy had handled something i'm trying to remember exactly how he she handled a totally left you know out of left field well this wasn't for our show right this this was for this was for uh, this. No, it wasn't for our show. It was when we met Tracy. We, we met Tracy. She was at a. Um, it was a science and entertainment exchange event. You know, it's these events that are super cool where they bring in scientists to talk to writers and actors and like you know big big wig industry you know entertainment industry folks. And I'm trying to remember exactly what the the question is. I remember but, this. I remember this exactly, but you go as far as you I, want and then I'll do it. it. Well, I, I was just going to explain like how she dealt with this and how do you deal, like as a science communicator, how do you deal with questions that like come from a totally different pr- place than you? Just like such a totally different place that like, well, what do you think about God? Or like, well, <laughs> like, well, like how did God make that happen? You know, like, like you know, that's that's a like an a, you know an extreme that I'm that I'm bringing up, but but just trying to paint the picture that it's just like a really question, big question out of field. And I think the way that you that that you deal with those questions is you you again bring it back to a, a personal note, like like you you try to act as a human, right? Like as a person that doesn't have all the answers, but has opinions, has opinions and ideas of how you engage with the world and what you think about things. And there's like there are kind ways to, to talk about stuff that just like doesn't fit into your world, you know? And, and I think, you know, a science, the show, like that's really a big flavor of science. The show is to really, you know, see scientists as humans, like as people that, you know, are not like arbiters of language and, you know, arbiters of knowledge and, you know, just trying to teach and, and, you know, and push, things onto you, but, you know, they're really trying to engage and just be a person, you know, with their own thoughts and, you know, and opinions and, and ideas. Um, so, so that, that example, you know, I don't know, Alex, if you want to fill in just like how Tracy just nailed it, you know, she just, I, I honestly yeah. think that, that the abstract is, is perfect. Like you, yeah. you hit all the, the necessary elements. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, something I've heard a couple times now from from Dylan and from Russell, and uh, I'm sure Alex agrees with this, is this this idea of being kind and nice and dealing with with thoughtful people. Is that like is that an uh, an intentional part of the show, or is that just kind of organically become yeah. something that's important to the show? Yeah, that is, I, I would say that that is. Um, it's, it's a hard line to walk because we also want to be funny and we're not mean funny, like not, not like, it's just not who the three of us tend to be. Except for Dylan likes to just uh, himself, just himself all, himself all the time. Yes. I can't be time, very good at being mean to myself. I'm, I'm also pretty good at being mean to other people, but I don't like doing that. That's not fun. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, oh, I'll let you finish Alex and then I can. No, 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 you finish, you finish. Oh, oh yeah. I guess I was going to say, as far as like being nice and like how, I think the benefit of our show when it comes to like dealing with like, like like weird questions that might be like difficult to answer sometimes in like a, maybe like a controversial way is the benefit of running a comedy show is people going to the show have like the, the vibe is different. Like people aren't going in there to be extremely contentious or whatever with you. Not that it can't happen, but that is a, and also on top of that, like, yeah, you, you pick a type of comedy that you're, you're building like whatever that comedy brand is. It's like, there's a big difference between David tell and John Mulaney. It's like, they're both funny people, but like, you don't put them on the same lineup. I mean, I guess you could theoretically, but they're different. Like it's different like energy. And so um, I think the type of, I think just from me personally, the type of people I meet that are scientists that I like to hear talk about stuff. They talk to you. My, so my cousin, he's a, he's not a scientist. He's like a poet. He couldn't be more opposite, but he's like published and he's very well read. He's a very smart man. And he talks to me like I've read all the books he's read. And that's so sweet of him because (laughs) he doesn't, he doesn't make me feel stupid when he's talking to me. And I think scientists, it, it is not hard for them to do the same thing. And that is really, that's a nice feeling. It's nice for someone to talk to you. Like you're on this, like you are a peer. It's like, it's like if a scientist is a superhero, like if every scientist, if you consider their expertise, making them like Superman, Superman doesn't run around and like punch people into mulch. <laughs> like that's not, a, that's not a human quality of Superman. I guess there's lots of iterations of his character that you can make him a monster. That's an analogy. I don't need to go down, but, uh, is that making sense? <laughs> Point well taken. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we are running up on time, but before we go, can you guys share a little bit about uh, how how listeners can find out more about Science the Show and, and maybe any other projects that uh, you guys are working on? Yeah. Uh, the best way is to find us on YouTube right now. We have a lot of our past shows archived on YouTube, um, our both past live and our past live stream shows. So that's Science the Show uh, on YouTube. And you can also find us on social media. Uh, it's Dylan, do you remember our exact wording for the handle? Yeah, yeah. I'll pull it up right here. I'm pretty sure okay. our Twitter is uh, Show Science. Let me double check, though. Science. Mm-hmm. You think uh, so? Our social media presence, as it might not be a surprise, is not super active. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's at Show Science for Twitter, and that's at Science of Show for Instagram. Um, but yeah, you'll you'll see clips from both shows, flyers, people we've had on. There's still there's obviously there's information there. But YouTube, if you want to see what the work that we've done most recently, that's going to be the place to find it. Yeah, and, and you know you can reach out to us, and you know we we love you know we work with like companies and you know individuals and 
you know, uh, they reach us through our Instagram or email, whatever, I, you know. I, realistically, yeah, email is like the best way to go. <laughs> like, that's the one thing that's actually extremely active. And by active, <laughs> I mean Alex is on top of constantly. <laughs> what, um, what is the email address? Uh, Scienceshow at gmail.com. Scienceshow at gmail.com. It's yeah. so funny. It feels like I'm talking like in the fucking 90s. I'm like, yeah, you can find us on our email. <laughs> Send a fax while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been super fun. Um, thank you. Thank you guys for showing up and, and talking with me. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we should have? No, this is a blast. I mean, there's yeah. plenty. I, we keep talking, but uh, I, don't, I can't think of anything else we haven't covered. Yeah, me neither. Round two in the future. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right, right guys. Thank thanks you. again. Bye. Yeah. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please share the episode. To learn how your team can leverage our team's expertise developing turnkey equipment, custom fixtures, and automated machines, and with product design, visit us at teampipeline.us. Thanks for listening.